you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so happy to be here today with Stephanie Carter. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Kathy. Of course. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So first, let me properly introduce you to Stephanie. Stephanie Carter is the founder of The Verse, her next verse. The Verse is a media platform designed and delivered by grownups for grownups, built on real talk, action ready beyond the masses tips and original ideas. It's a mashup of Stephanie's decades of leadership in business, public service, advocacy, and the arts. Prior to founding The Verse, Stephanie served as general partner of the growth equity firm ABS Capital Partners, raising $1.6 billion for the firm's funds in her 25-year tenure, just one accomplishment amongst many that bettered the firm. As wife to former Secretary of Defense Ash Carter, Stephanie seized the opportunity to travel the world and make a difference for military families and veterans, earning the Distinguished Public Service Award from the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staffs in 2017. So if you aren't getting this already, Stephanie is a multi-talented badass. And in founding The Verse, she realized she was one in an army of grownups seeking reinvention, and she hopes that by sharing her setbacks and wins, she can help people to view their second half with optimism and excitement. And I'm really excited to talk about that more today. So again, thanks for being here. So to start, Stephanie, I'd love to hear more about your leaving corporate America and how you knew it was time for the next thing and what made you go out on your own? Um, definitely, like anything, I, I know that we love to reduce things into nice, clean, crisp stories, but it, it wasn't clean or crisp. Um, we were doing a fundraise at, at the fund, which was a challenge. Um, as, as you know, that's the type of thing where it's very dependent on what's going on in the markets and uh, you're kind of having to make your way through. And so there was a point during that challenging time that I really had to think about um, what if we don't get this done? Uh, and that was scary. But I had started thinking, I would think every night on my way home, you know, what I would do with the people I was managing and, and how I would, uh, you know, kind of deal with what might be an outcome. And uh, I started thinking, okay, you know, I'll, I'll leave, right? Because um, I've kind of reached a certain place and I will allow the woman who was, I was mentoring to get a battlefield promotion and then she'll be able to go somewhere else. And I, I would really sort this out on my drive home. And that's how, uh, how my mind was working. But it was honestly the first time that I actually 
verbalize that I might leave. And that was enough. That was a big, big thing to really ever say, because I don't think I ever let myself think it or believe it because I was such a company cheerleader. I really loved the firm. I still do. Um, but I had never even thought of anything else, but I would live out my days there. And at the same time, uh, I had been working with an executive coach and, uh, you know, when you're working with a coach, someone as wonderful as someone like you, uh, you keep getting better and you keep mastering what you're doing. And so I was really, um, managing better. I was climbing the ladder, um, and striving upwards and I would say the the last thing that happened was that we did get through the fundraise, but my mind didn't stop thinking about, wow, there's this whole world that I haven't even opened my eyes to that I could uh, pursue. And that was both exciting, thrilling, and um, it was also daunting. And so I think flash forward, I decided not to make any big decisions after we got the fundraise done, just because you're just in a mode where you shouldn't make big decisions. But I hadn't stopped thinking about what else I could do. And I was starting to recognize that I was hitting my head on the ceiling. There just wasn't another move for me upwards. And so I really had to think about how compelling is it going to be to just keep doing something that I'm already good at. And I'm a big growth person and that probably wasn't going to be satisfying. Um, then going out on my own, uh, sorry, this is like a long, uh, I'm no, taking this you is great. on. Thank you. I'm, I'm taking you on uh, Homer's Odyssey here. But um, then I thought I would work in sports or entertainment, two fields that I love. I love the product. And I got a lot of meetings and so I don't feel like I didn't get to explore those fields. But when I got in the room with people, it was really evident to me that they did not know what to do with an accomplished uh, executive who was 50 years old. They would have really known what to do if I was 22 and, hey, can I get an entry level job and can you teach me the big leagues? But they didn't really know what to do with someone who had been successful in one field and was thinking about going to another. And it made me think um, this, yeah, this just hasn't been um, the norm that people would be walking in their offices at a certain age. And it made me think, why, why aren't we exploring this? Because we're really the first generation that understands and can make decisions around our life being a really long one and probably not lasting in one career to 65 and then calling it quits and, and going to, you know, a nice home on the beach. I mean, I think, I think that's fine if that's what you want to do, but clearly there's a lot more available to us. And it seems really crazy that you would pull the ripcord when you've reached this level of understanding about yourself and um, you kind of grow into your own skin. Why wouldn't you want to optimize that? I mean, to me, it's when you're at your best. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. And I just want to highlight some of the things that you, you know, mentioned in your response, because one of the things we talk about uh, around sustainable ambition is how important it is to pay attention. 
And many of us aren't paying attention as we go through our careers. And we're not listening to those voices that are popping up saying like, hey, something's off here, or I'm ready for that next growth challenge. And that's what I heard you describing in terms of your drive home. And, you know, once you accomplish what you had set out to accomplish that the fact that that voice hadn't gone away uh, and that you continued to listen to it and to explore it. And I, I think you shared with me before too, like you didn't jump immediately, you know, you really Uh, took some time to kind of explore. And even in terms of what you're describing in terms of, Hey, I thought my passion was going to be here. So let me go kind of go explore that. And you learned through that process. So I'm wondering if you have any insights from just the journey you took to kind of getting to this step of starting your own thing, that you might have some advice and counsel for people as they're starting themselves to perhaps feel that like kind of inkling of like, hmm, I think there might be something more here and I might be ready for what's next. Yeah, I know this isn't available to everybody and so I don't want to be presumptive, but I would definitely say get a coach because your need to get outside of your own head and see things clearly um, is best reflected through another person. You also are going to need an accountability mechanism. Um, I think the biggest thing, and um, it's funny why it was important to me, but in the end, it ended up being the right thing is, yeah, I did explore all this while I already was in a role. And um, I had had a couple of friends who had left their professions and I had really seen them sort of sprint right up till the end of their time with their companies. And not really have a sense of what they wanted to do next. And there was this big presumption, I'll figure it out when I stop. I'll figure it out when I stop. Don't do that. It is already going to be enough of a uh, disorientation, a um, challenge, uh, a sort of walk in you know squishy waters um, to leave what you have been doing for a long time or to leave a world you've known or to leave a definition of yourself that you've understood. And so I would say that having figured this out, A, it made my leaving easier in the sense that I was able to clearly state uh, why I was leaving, where I was going, what I was doing, even if that was just a concept at the time, and it, it let my partners who I cared very deeply for know that I wasn't going to another firm or I wasn't, you know, it wasn't something they could have done. Um, but I think that it also gave me a little bit of an anchor, which you really need if you're going to step away from something you've been doing for a long time where you've had mastery and, you know, you've had a kind of environment and cocoon. Um, and it, it, I don't think, I think my biggest piece of advice, and I've said this to a couple people since that have been in similar situations is you will not figure it out. You are not going to leave this world, go to some room, sit in front of a whiteboard and start figuring it out. You're not going to do it. And so I really just did a little more each week, um, and tried to investigate, but was working with a coach the whole time. So you know, I, I had homework. I had someone to call bullshit on me if I wasn't sort of, you know, starting to charter a, a, a 
you know, chart a path out of what I was doing. So. Yeah. Really wise counsel to kind of start before you think you need to, and, um, really start to set that path and pay attention and, and get into exploration mode is what I'm hearing too. And one of the things you noted as well was this idea of kind of giving yourself an anchor. And for many people who step away from a corporate world and that title, right? And that business card and being able to describe yourself um, by, through your work, which we many of us tend to do, when you step away from that, oftentimes people have a challenge with personal identity. And I know on the verse you talk about like creating your own trademark, creating your own personal brand. Do you have any counts or ideas around like the importance of doing something like that as well to help with that anchoring as you step away from your corporate role? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you aren't thinking of starting your own thing, you really should get a handle on not only your, I I think your brand in every sense of the word, what you stand for, what you like, what you don't like. I mean, even if your intention is to leave a place and go to somewhere new, um, you shouldn't be the same person you've been, right? You have this opportunity to to reinvent and relook at. And I think to get to the heart of uh, what you are and what value you're offering. I mean, I actually, when I was sort of in job seeking mode, I had uh, worked with a mutual friend of ours who introduced us that on some personal branding. And I mean, people were really blown away in the way that I could articulate what I thought my uh, core strengths were and my values, because it's really stupid to write a resume when you've been doing something 25 years. I mean, you're not going to be able to tick through um, all the experiences year in, year out. Yes, you can show some forward progression and some accomplishment, but you know, you really need to say, what is it that you have on offer? And I think that does that does take almost a branding exercise to say, what makes you different from other people um, that might be, be, you know, kind of wanting to join something. So yeah, that was a very worthwhile exercise. It turned out that I was able to parlay that into the core of, you know, what the verse became because the verse is an expression of me and it is, it is about some of my brand, but, um, but I think it's a worthwhile exercise for anybody. Yeah. I love that. I did too. This notion of at some point blow up the resume. I mean, is it, it feels so antiquated and doesn't seem like it really captures who we are as individuals. And there's so much antiquated about, you know, the work world and how people need to fit into boxes. Even what you were saying as you were interviewing for other potential roles and other industries and the fact that companies don't really know how to take in experienced people and to integrate them into the workforce. So it's just another example of how do you present yourself differently? And like you're saying, the value that you can bring to the party. Yeah. I mean, I, first and foremost, I would say I always got a call back. I had like a four or five page PowerPoint um, and it was visual and it was designed and it was beautiful and um, I always got a lot of response from that. And for people to say, I feel like I know you a little bit, like before we would talk. 
So yeah, blow up the resume. I mean, the thing I used to think when I was hiring people, and maybe I was a little bit different in this way, is I would think about what is the mission of the job. And by the way, you know, these people don't know what to do with talent when it walks in the door and then they turn around and bemoan the talent shortage. But um, I would always think about if I was hiring someone in a year, if I was happy with that person, what would they have gotten done? So I tried to get past the job description to what the core mission of the job was and what really the competencies were going to be and what needed to be get to to get done. And then it helped me think differently about candidates because I would be able to think about, oh, well, what I really need from this person is for them to be very situationally aware and create connections. And maybe they had had a different experience, maybe not in my field, but they had done the practice of creating relationships or being situationally aware. And I think that is where hiring should go. I mean, it's honestly not my, uh, you know, not my problem to have anymore, but I, I, I think being on the other side of it helped me to say, I'm not going to present myself through a resume. I just think that's ridiculous for someone who's been working 25 years. Yeah, I, again, I just want to puncture it because I really love that advice. And I also think it's important, it's not uncommon for me to hear people at this point in their career as well to be concerned about ageism and how they show up to employers. And I think part of that problem is even in how we present ourselves. And so that's what I like about what you're sharing here too, is, you know, break out of that mold and out of that norm and how you present yourself and consider, you know, a more impactful way to really tell your story and um, demonstrate the value that you bring after 25 years likely of experience. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what we're going to do to break this ageism, except for, I mean, at least at the verse, our mission is to put more positive imagery out there of what this age really looks like. You know, people will say to me, oh, you don't look 52. And it's like, this is what 52 looks like. I mean, I don't know. Um, But uh, I think the challenge is uh, that you know, the people that are going to be doing the hiring in a lot of cases are younger. And um, there is this idea that, um, you know, I, I hate the idea of like, you're too experienced, like you're too, you're too experienced for this job, or you, you might be too much. And I think there's a resistance to that. Because when you have people that are hiring, that are in their 30s, we all remember or at least I remember that being a time of insecurity, right? Mm. Um, you know, I think that's a time where you think you know everything and everyone's just not getting you and, um, you know, and you don't want to be challenged because um, you're just, it's just, I think it's a phase you go through when you're going through that that stretch of your career where you're like, am I going to kind of take off? And, you know, who's, you have your elbows out, who else is trying to, you know, um, you know, take off at the same time. And, um, I think as you get more accomplished, you mellow on that. You, you don't feel the need, you need to take credit for everything. You don't feel, uh, so insecure, but I worry because I think you are putting people in a position when they're at that phase in their career 
and they may be hiring and they may feel really challenged by someone who, instead of saying, look at this great gift of wisdom, right? This is someone who's seen some stuff. I remember when, um, you know, the, I worked in, you know, the financial world. And I remember whenever the markets got choppy, I wanted to talk to people who had worked in the seventies because they would tell you like, it was bad news every goddamn day in the seventies, right? Like it was just bad news on top of bad news. You know, it was the gas shortage. It was the Iran hostage, you know, it was everything. And that felt comforting to me to be able to talk to some people who had lived through some stuff and uh, could really help me contextualize it and be like, ah, it's not that bad. This is nothing. Um, And so I think people have to think about hiring people that are older, like, wow, I might have this person around who's really seen some stuff and could really help me and could give me wisdom. Um, I, I worry about that though. I really worry about that where we are with that. I agree. And I'm, you probably, I'm sure you've heard of Chip Conley's book, you know, wisdom at work, the making of a modern elder. I live for it. I live for it. It was one of the first, uh, books I read, uh, kind of at the beginning of all of this. And, um, and I have a dog-eared copy that is, you know, highlighted. And unfortunately last year I was supposed to be on a panel at South by Southwest with him. And, um, it would have been a dream, but unfortunately we (laughs) ended up with COVID, but, um, I really, he's so wise and wonderful and just a wonderful advocate for, um, you know, companies not letting all this wisdom walk out the door, which I fear that they are right now. I don't disagree. And I think, um, you know, you just also shared this article with Rose Marcario, who is the former CEO of Patagonia. And she's talking about this third act um, where it talks about uh, the stage of life. It's really your time to hand over day-to-day responsibilities to the next generation and to become an advisor and a teacher. And I think that's where people are getting things a little bit wrong in terms of how they integrate different, um, I hate to say generations because it's like, geez, I work with 20 year olds. I don't feel that far away from them. One that I'm working with recently, she almost fell off her chair when she heard my age. And I, you know, it's kind of like, you don't always notice the differences and we're really doing ourselves a disservice by not leveraging talent, regardless of what number is associated with your age. So Yeah, I really appreciate this point around, you know, how do we really leverage all talent regardless of age? Yeah, one of the core sort of values, I mean, I've been working on our mission, vision and values, but one of our core values, at least um, we've had since the beginning is we just don't indulge in intergenerational shade. Like we don't like it. I, I really think that um, you know, a lot of jobs that need doing and problems we need to solve in this world is going to take all of our generational strengths and there's a role for everyone to play. And I think there's this presumption that, um, you know, and you've seen a little bit of this even play out in, um, in Congress that, you know, it's time for the you know, the old people to step aside and just get out of here. And, you know, to me, I kind of think about it as, um, 
you know, the Nancy Pelosi is like an amazing fundraiser. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you use her for that? And she has been amazing on sort of um, navigating and negotiating a bunch of really, really thorny, thorny things. And this isn't to bring anyone's politics into play, but I'm saying that why don't we use people for what they're really good at instead of this idea if they don't get out of the chair that I'm never going to have my shot. Now, that, that also calls on all of us to be more generous and, and sharing in our own um, pursuits, right? To, you know, you know who the clients are that are cool and don't mind if you bring someone in the room to listen in or to, you know, get some exposure. Um, you know, I always think um, I, I have a doctor that is also a, a teaching doctor and she would ask me, do you mind if I, I'm teaching today? Do you mind if I bring in another doctor? And I would say, no, absolutely. And I, th I think, you know, who those, and I, I would like to think it was because I'm cool and, you know, I'm a patient. She felt like she could do that with, but you know who those people are on, um, and I'm I'm sorry I did turn off my text, but <laughs> it's dinging anyway. Um, uh, you know who those people are that in your work world. So it is on you when you do become senior at a uh, business to bring younger people into the room and to give them some of the spotlight and give them you know, exposure. So I think on both sides, we could all be doing better at really um, navigating these kind of differences. Yeah, I, I so appreciate what you're bringing up. And this is one of the things that I think about as well with regard to sustainable ambition is this notion of um, that things change from decade to decade. And it might not be right on the, you know, 30-year-old mark, 40-year-old mark, 50-year-old mark. But the reality is our satisfaction, our ambition, what we're looking for from work and our careers changes. And because we don't talk about that, it's not normalized to think about how one can or should be navigating their careers at these different times. And that could be even if you choose to have children and your for a man or a woman and how you navigate that while you have younger children say or as you get later in your career and what you might be looking for that's different at this point in time so i think this idea of kind of part of what you're describing is like um there's so, there's a lot of layers to it actually and what you're describing too because it's also like hey once you get more senior in an organization remember like what your role is at this point in time and how it is to like kind of bring other people along um so it's just to say for me like that i think there needs to be more normalization of these different ways of looking at careers how they evolve over time uh and that it's not just this one note kind of like ladder that you keep climbing up you know, until the end, um, that you might have to take some side steps and what have you. So, yeah, my husband used to describe it as like jungle gyms, you know, that people want to kind of move in different ways. And yeah, I think we do put too much on sort of the march straight up the hill instead of 
you know, the meandering path that is kind of moving you forward. I always remember when I was managing people that were having children, um, you know, it was really hard to see them be a hard charger and come back and realize, um, you know, it almost felt like when a dog kind of runs until they hit an electric fence, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, and they realize that they can't, you know, run as hard or do as much. And, you know, I would really try to get people focused on what were incremental steps forward. They could, you know, I think incremental growth is way underappreciated. And so it was kind of about helping them ground themselves in some achievable goals for the year, given that their life had dramatically changed. And the other thing I think is, you know, to really for, you know, a lot of companies talk about how they're so friendly to people having children and whatever, but there, there is still significant evidence that you're sort of seen as, uh, you know, people wonder if you're going to be as sharp or you're going to take a step back. And I think there's a lot of unspoken expectation. And so it's only natural that that person won't articulate what's going on, that they're having trouble, that it's a challenge to balance. And, um, you know, my thing is that if you can't, if we can't talk about it, we can't fix it, right? Like if you can't talk about it, you can't fix it. And so it was really to say, hey, you know, let's have a results-oriented work environment. If you want to be home for dinner and bath time, and that's the best time for you, and you want to get back on your computer at nine o'clock, like that's, that's fine. We just need the work done, right? We don't need, you don't need to be in my face. Uh, you know, we, we need to make it more workable, but I do think that there are times that people need to be um, more encouraged about making incremental change and incremental progress and not thinking that every year they've got to, you know, kind of shoot the moon. Yeah, I love that. Well, I wanted to, on this idea of growth, because I know growth is really important to you. I want to come back to this idea of kind of going from mastery to beginner. You know, we were having an exchange about an article on Bloomberg from last year, end of last year, where they talked about this idea that success is fueled by like grit, passion, and a growth mindset. Yet they have data that shows like as we age, you know, passion can wane for some um, grid actually increases, I think, because we get more experience. We've gone through the trenches and like, you know, have a lot of experience under our belt, but that it's really that growth mindset that declines for people past their early fifties. And, you know, you've noted the importance of really embracing a beginner's mindset. And I think it's not easy to go from, being such a master at something to kind of being a beginner again, it really requires this mindset shift. So do you have any advice on how one actually does that? How does one move from kind of stepping away from being a master and being open to being a beginner again? Um, I think first and foremost, it's awareness, right? Um, and I think that what took me a while was to even figure out what was happening that, um, things like felt harder or they took longer or, um, and you know, there wasn't awareness on my part. Hey, you're doing something you haven't even done before. And of course you're not doing it well, or 
um, or killing it. Um, because I, I think I did have kind of, I think the grit part is that gives you a self-possession, right? That you can probably get through a lot of things, right? So that at least lets you know that, you know, okay, like what's the worst that can happen? I've, I've been through a lot of stuff before, but at the same time, I think that that didn't really click for me that things were feeling hard. I was being really hard on myself. Like, why aren't you doing this amazingly? And it finally clicked for me. Oh, like you're back at grasshopper. You're like, you're no longer master of this. And I think it's just curiosity. I mean, I think I'm, it's awareness and curiosity. I mean, I'm relentlessly curious. Uh, I'm that type of person in life. I'm always uh, reading or listening to podcasts about how things work. And I just, I always want to know more. And so I think that really helps. And I think, um, I think that uh, Chip Conley talks about it too. Just I think really just fostering your own curiosity. Um, but I think it's also to uh, stop being so, um, I don't want to say self-centered, but self-conscious, you know, no one, no one's looking at you. No one cares um, that you're not getting things right. That's really about you uh, feeling that you should be getting things right. So I'd say first and foremost, be nice to yourself and don't expect that. Yeah. The, when on the days that things have been hard, I will remind myself that the reason that I left my former job is because I wasn't growing anymore. And while it feels nice to sit in a place of mastery and, uh, be able to do a bunch of things and be in your flow, um, you know, that's, that isn't growth. And so I think, you know, I think just understanding that, that I had taken a step back and, um, like I said, not being so self-conscious about it. Um, I interviewed a woman, uh, for our newsletter, a couple issues ago, and she's fantastic, but she decided to go to, uh, DJ school at age 40 something. And she is now this amazing DJ, like opens for D nice and is the today show DJ and is just fantastic. And, um, she was saying the same thing, like, stop worrying what other people think. Like it's you, you're the only one that cares about it. You know, it's not everybody else. So I think, yeah, I, we're all always reaching for this place where we don't care what other people think. <laughs> I think I'll, that's right. I'll, I'll call you when I get there, but yes, <laughs> I agree. I love that. Um, you know, the school of life talks about this idea that confidence is really when we're comfortable in our own skin. And I think that's part of what you're describing, but I think it's also not like you're saying, who's looking at you and whether or not you're getting it right, you know, as opposed to just growing into and learning um, and getting better over time. And I, it seems to me that like as in a, as adults, I think we forget what the learning process is like in that you fall down a lot. You learn by doing that. You know, I think we assume that as adults, we should just be able to pick something up. And when we pick it up, be experts at it and excellent at it from the get go. And we forget about what really that learning journey is like. Uh, and that's what I hear you describing a bit. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think it uh, it's actually 
two different sides of that coin. We both, you know, we're both arrogant about our ability to pick up new things. And we're also, um, to the point in the Bloomberg article, we're fearful of, you know, we, this whole old dogs can't learn new tricks or, you know, you see people, you know, shy away from things and say, um, you know, I'm 50 something like, I'm not gonna, if I haven't picked it up by now, I'm not going to do it. And I, I think that is, you know, where people cut off their growth mindset because they just presume that even at 50 or 60 or 70, that they can't change something about themselves or their life. And um, as you know, the core of the growth mindset is, is believing in your ability to actually change things. Uh, so yeah, I think we, it's kind of schizophrenic. We both think we're going to do awesome at it and uh, think, why bother? Um, there's another new book out, I think maybe I sent you, called Beginners. And it's a guy who writes uh, um, about his learning to surf in his, his middle age. And one of the things they say is like, you can't look down at the surfboard when you're getting up, you need to like find a spot on the shore that you can, so that you can actually be upright. If you're looking down, you're going to go down. Um, and they, he found that for people that are middle-aged learning a new sport, their biggest, one of the biggest problems is they're so self-conscious about what they're doing instead of, you know, if you watch a kid learning how to ski, they just like, will go tumble down the hill. Like, so I think, you know, if we can get in touch with that, that part of ourselves, like, I don't really care. Like I'm learning how to play basketball and I am by no means good. And I miss a ton of shots. And, um, my, uh, trainer who was teaching me, um, before COVID, but he was teaching me, um, he had played college basketball and, you know, if I can go make an ass out of myself, (laughs) because it's something I really like to do. It's not about whether I'm great at it or not. So I think we all, we all need to kind of get to that place, which is hard. Yeah. But it's a great practice even to give ourselves something like that, like challenge yourself to try something where you're not, you know, where you're picking up a new sport or learning, you know, an instrument or something to that effect to just kind of humble yourself around like the learning process. So, um, yeah, Yeah, I'm not recalling the name of the book, but another surfing story, but it was a woman who had been really super, uh, amazing, um, you know, publisher and at the top of her game had her own imprint, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, it's, I think the name of the book is something like suck at something like, mm-hmm. you know, that she, um, is never going to be a great surfer and, uh, just having something in her life that she is not good at and, and may never be good at is, is a really great thing to have in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to make sure to talk about a little bit about the verse as we start to come to a close. And it's a resource to support grownups at this stage of life and to foster people being curious, as you highlight, and being in action. And I'm wondering, you know, we've talked a lot about this today, but, you know, what do you, why do you think this is so needed today? And kind of what space did you see missing in this dialogue that you really wanted to fill? and provide people with 
information and resources to kind of navigate this stage of life? Yeah, I mean, I I think it was, uh, you know, the initial discussion we had about, you know, just a sort of understanding that we were really this first generation who was starting to see how long our parents were living and maybe how long our parents were working and maybe see choices that our parents had made about the second half of their lives um, where they hadn't had the forethought that they were actually, you know, that when they stopped working, that they were going to have another 30 years or 40 years. Um, And so I saw that trend first and foremost, and certainly saw a need for people to just a guide for what I was going through that, you know, you might find yourself reinventing yourself at age 40 or 50. And um, I think that in some ways, the generations younger than us are a little bit more prepared in that they don't think they're necessarily going to stay a place for uh, a kajillion years. So, I mean, we certainly haven't been geared that way. Um, But I think also uh, just in the market, uh, I think there is just a dearth of people even writing to this age or showing imagery of this age or showing stories of this age. So I thought that was a mismatch. Um, You know, I think something like 10% of the advertising uh, sort of is spent on people our age, and yet we hold over 70% of the wealth in this country. So there's there's a disconnect there. Um, And so I thought there was just like, I wasn't picking up things that weren't written in this kind of um, millennial or Gen Z targeted zone. And it seemed that so much of media had sort of gone that way. So I thought just someone who was, had a voice that was talking to people as if they had lived some life already and, um, you know, met them where they were. Um, so I think those were the things that I, I saw missing in the marketplace. Um, and, you know, hopefully, as, as we go on, you know, there continue to be um, more outlets that are addressing people at this age. But for now, uh, we just really saw that there was a little bit of a white space there. Yeah, that's great. So yes, go to the verse to get some communication and media that is actually speaking to say Gen X, because I don't know what it is, but no one talks about Gen X. I we're really the forgotten generation. It's very interesting. Well, yes. I mean, we, we sit, um, yeah, I'm sure you've seen the meme that they sent around that is like a CNN, uh, they were talking about actually millennial burnout, but there is a CNN, uh, graphic and it said the silent generation, the baby boomers and the millennials and Gen Z. And And I said, that's the most Gen X thing ever. But I think, you know, there wasn't, yeah, I think we're a really interesting generation. Um, And I think, you know, sure, we didn't come out of school with anything as uh, pronounced as the financial crisis or certainly COVID right now. You have to feel for uh, these people coming out of school right now. Um, But at, at at the same time, there was sort of when we were leaving college, there was a, a, a different kind of financial crisis and malaise. And, you know, a lot of the people our age had to 
kind of go invent jobs for themselves. And they ended up creating things in the internet. And, you know, a lot of the companies that have pushed technology and creativity forward. And so I think people don't really, um, you know, understand that. But in the same way, I think that we're going to really silently rewrite the book about um, what your second half of life looks like. And, you know, if we do it quietly and people don't pay attention to us, that's fine. But, you know, my hope, if I do something good with the verse, you know, I hope first and foremost, it's a successful business. It's not, you know, for my vanity or anything. Um, But secondly, I really hope that um, people in their thirties right now will think differently about this period of their life. They won't dread it and they'll have planned for it they will have some sort of blueprint of, oh, okay, I'm, you know, I can try a new career when I get here. You know, um, I I hope we can normalize that a lot more. Yes, here, here. I love, that's a great summary of uh, a lot of what I believe too and what I think is so important. I think is a great legacy, frankly, to leave for others as they think about, you know, the next chapter and the second act in their own lives and career. To wrap up, I'd love to just ask you a couple rapid fire questions and then we'll close things out, but um, I'll go through these quickly. But one is, how do you define success for yourself? I think, I think I think about the normal things that, that are around success, right? It's, it's your ability to influence things. And in this case, it's going to be my business, right? But I think also at this stage of life is, do I feel happy when I wake up? Am I bounding out of bed? You know, I forget who said it, but it's someone said, you know, you should be jumping out of bed in the morning and, you know, and, jumping in bed at night, um, you know, kind of with the same enthusiasm. And I think that's basically saying that you like your home life and, and you like your, your pursuit or your craft. And to me, that's, that's what feels like success. If I can, um, find, you know, it's not every day is going to be lollipops and ice cream, but I, if you can find joy in what you're doing, I think that's success. And, it sounds trite, but I think you can appreciate it more when you're this age that you know that you can keep climbing, but if, um, if you're miserable, that doesn't work and you're not growing, that doesn't work. What advice would you give your 20 year old self? Take more risk. Uh, I think, uh, funny enough, having worked in an industry uh, that is a um, uh, is based on taking risk. Um, you know, I think women are uh, more risk averse, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing um, because when women and men combine their risk profiles, they make really good decisions. But um, I think, yeah, I think I was very, um, and I, and I worry about this also for people that are coming out in these various disruptions. I think I felt lucky to be where I was and to have a job. And, um, I don't think that I ever thought, Oh, you know, I could jump and do something else or I could try something and maybe I'd fail at it. 
And, you know, I worry about that for people that came out in the financial crisis, that they may be oriented that way, where you have everyone telling you you're lucky to have a job. Um, and I feel that way for maybe, um, maybe kids that are coming out now. Um, but definitely take more risk. What's your best tip for juggling multiple priorities? <laughs> I used to like to say uh, that, um, well, that none of us are good at juggling, first and foremost, <laughs> that we all over, uh, overestimate our skill at multitasking. Um, but I think, you know, I would go to all these conferences when I was working in uh, the private equity world, and there'd always come around this conversation about work-life balance, work-life balance. There is no balance. So we should stop like putting that out there as something to be achieved because we're just going to drive ourselves crazy. Sometimes uh, your work is barking louder and sometimes your home is barking louder or, you know, personal life is barking louder and you just, you just need to attend to um, what's really pulling you and you need to be okay with that. Um, I think that uh, when um, Ash got uh, his secretary of defense job, which was a big job. He had already had deputy. And I think the mistake that I made when he had been deputy secretary of defense was uh, I kind of tried to pretend that nothing had changed in my life, maybe similar to someone having a child or something. Nothing had changed, nothing had changed. And I was trying to continue to say yes to everything and to show how much I hadn't changed. Um, to my own detriment. And when he became secretary, I really realized like, I need to keep my world like really small, like, because I need to conserve my energy to support him in this massive thing he's doing. And, um, you know, I've got to trim some of the things that, you know, I'm saying yes to, and none of us likes to not do that. And, you know, we all, you know, feel like we want to be there for everybody. want to say yes to everything. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I think you've really got to listen up to what's going on and what's pulling you the most. And I think during those times, you just have to crunch down the other stuff, you know, by the same token, I had someone who worked for me and, you know, her friends kind of, she had young children, her, her extended family wanted her sort of traveling every weekend. And she was just really killing herself, you know, because it was enough to sort of keep up with this growing family and a uh, really uh, tough job. So I think you got to pay attention and you, you can't, you can't balance them. It's not going to happen. I love the straight talk. And I think that's what people will get from the verse as well. And um, this has been such a fabulous conversation, Stephanie. Thank you so much for being on with me. Um, what's a final piece of advice you'd love to leave our listeners with? Um, I think one that is kind of um, hitting me recently is uh, to just kind of embrace um, not doing things well. I, I think you're never going to take some risk and try something if you're not okay with um, making some mistakes. And I think even going into starting a company, I thought, oh my God, I've seen hundreds of growth companies 
And, you know, I know all the, all the mistakes make and, um, think that if I'm not making mistakes, I'm not taking enough risk. So I think just getting okay with, um, not being perfect and making some mistakes. I know that sounds trite, but uh, it's something I'm reminding myself of lately. Now, I love you punctuating that because it just gets back to that growth mindset idea and the beginner mindset. So I think it just says how important that is. So what can we do for you and where can people find you to keep in touch? Um, the best thing everyone can do is to subscribe to our newsletter. It um, comes every other Sunday. And um, I think that it is if I do say so, I think it's a great Sunday read and it'll really help you kickstart your week. Um, you can sign up for it at www.theversemedia.com. And on Instagram, we're at The Verse Media. And you can find us on LinkedIn under The Verse Media. Um, so I would say follow along, but certainly sign up for our newsletter because I think, you know, we'll just get better the more we like to say our DMs, our minds and hearts are always open. So um, I think we'll just get better um, the more uh, input and, uh, you know, feedback we have from our audience. So wonderful. Well, thank you again, Stephanie. I'm so pleased to have you here with me today and really appreciate all the insight and wisdom you shared with us. Well, thank you. I what you're doing. I really appreciate you being so generous as to have me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.